uh, what really helps is we we built the rapport with the seller and met with them. I even brought a thank you card to thank him for, for his time. And then we just sat through all of the negotiations face to face. And that's what really helped us uh, close, the, close the deal. That's one of Sterling's strengths is you, you kind of ask how you're finding deals in a hot market and, and what it takes is, is grit. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, it's my job to explore, dissect, and interview the cream of the crop when it comes to real estate investing, business, and entrepreneurship here in the United States, so you can all make the right investing decision to create massive amounts of cash flow, which will lead to financial freedom and long-term wealth. I constantly say on the show that knowledge is power, but if you don't combine that knowledge with actual action, you'll still be left sitting on the fence and you won't actually achieve your goals. If you do like this show, please give us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching Read Google. You can find this show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these, these episodes up on my YouTube channel. Head over to readgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it'll take you straight to the recordings. You can see my ugly mug, but you can see the beautiful faces of all my guests. All right, guys, enough out of me. Let's get cracking into today's show. Then the show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Sterling White and Jacob Blackett. Sterling started his investing career back at an early age in 2009, doing construction on commercial projects. He purchased his first single-family property at the age of 23 with no money in the deal. Before founding Holdfolio, Sterling and his business partner Jacob were involved in the purchase and selling of over 100 single-family properties nationwide. Jacob, on the other hand, is originally from Reno, Nevada, and Jacob began his real estate investing career also at a young age. And in 2010, as a sophomore at the University of Nevada, Reno, where most of his uh, contemporaries were immersed in college life, Jacob bought and sold his first two residential fix and flip properties in Southern California. He Once he made the move to Indianapolis in 2012, Jacob fell under the guidance of his mentor, and over the course of a three-year partnership, he placed over $40 million in single-family rental properties. But enough out of me. Let's get the guys out here. G'day, guys. Welcome to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the world's most interesting <laughs> podcast. <laughs> where are you dialing in I'm, from? So I, I'm, uh, I am currently in Dayton, Ohio, where one of our offices are, and uh, Sterling's in Indianapolis, right, Sterling? Indianapolis, Indiana. Beautiful, boys. Beautiful. Well, great, guys. Really glad that you are uh, really glad, I should say, that you came on the show today. I'm really, really looking forward to interviewing the two of you. Let's rewind the clock a little bit back to when you first made your first dollar. Can you take us all the way back before we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of today's show? I really want to understand your journey, your entrepreneurship journey, and how you've got to where we are today. Yeah, Jacob, did you want to lead the way on this? Yeah, I was going to say, you have an interest, probably a more interesting story than I do, but. Um, as far as my first dollar, I'd say it, my um, father was an auto mechanic, owned his own shop, small business owner. And so at a very young age, I got in there and started servicing cars and, and, and making some money there. And so th- that would be my first dollar. Sterling, you want to kind of 
Yeah, my, my first dollar was when I was in early elementary school. I actually was able to build a little business inside of the school where I would take Kool-Aid and sell them to the kids around throughout uh, within passing periods. And then I got it to scale up to where I had other kids selling other Kool-Aid and then coming back to me and kind of giving me all the money. So that's <laughs> kind of how, how things built out from that. How, lo- how long did that, uh, that endeavor last for? I'm sure the teachers weren't too happy about selling Kool-Aid around. No, they, they weren't. So that's Ponzi scheme, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then I switched to Pokemon cards after yeah. that. Totally. Pokemon cards. Uh, there was, gosh, uh, what was those other... Pogs, I think it was. If you, if, if I don't know how old you guys are, maybe not as old as me, but uh, I remember pods, which was another those those disc things with all the weird reflections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, guys, so talk to me a little bit about your journey. Um, I explained in the introduction that both of you started at a very, very young age. So explain to me from from your own individual points of view what possessed you to change the mind shift and get involved in real estate investing at such a young age. So for me, me personally, I studied finance in college. And so it was my freshman, sophomore year of college when I really started kind of thinking into real estate. And that's where I got a good ability to kind of weigh the options between finance and real estate. And everything real estate just really resonated with me. And so I think the biggest part of real estate is the reoccurring income streams that you're able to uh, that you're able to create for yourself, and so that's really what got me um, got me so interested into real estate, and um, you know has kept me motivated during this journey. Nice, yourself, Sterling. I'd say it. It really, I, I stumbled into it uh, when I had a good friend of mine who was a landlord. And he was also doing construction on commercial projects and kind of just took me under his wing. And we started uh, doing those types of developments. And I saw the money that he was making along with other friends that he had in the business as well. And it, it just, with where you can go with uh, real estate is just, I mean, sky's the limit on it. So that's what really piqued my interest and changed my mindset to where I was in school. I was like, I really would want to shift from school to do this full time. Right. It's very, very interesting. So Jacob, tell me about how you purchased your first uh, two properties, fixed and flip in Southern California, right? In a very, very hot market. So walk me through that whilst you're also at university. That's a pretty incredible feat. Um, How did you come across the deals? Who introduced you to them? Did you, you know, start networking? Did you prospect? And, you know, who helped you with the, the down payment on two properties in Southern California? So the, the genesis of those properties came from an infomercial that I saw uh, flipping properties. And so late one night, saw the infomercial free, uh, free uh, sit-in class one night. And so went to the, the free class and, and got sold on a weekend of uh, education that led to a, a more kind of structured seminar. And so it was through that real estate education that I actually found myself down in Southern California in, in the inland uh, LA area in Riverside. And um, so, so it was through kind of the, the network through that real estate education that I, that I had met a lot of people, contractors, realtors, um, and hard money lenders. And so um, with, with all of, 
after spending a few months of pretty intense education and meeting the, the right people, I actually ended up um, borrowing some money from my grandma uh, for the down payment and rehab needed and then had a hard money lender to fund the rest of the rest of the money needed on those two first fix and flips. How much were so, you uh, into the deal for on those two? So this was, uh, this was back in 2009 and 2010. And we had acquired those for $150,000 and $170,000 respectively. Mm-hmm. And um, each, each of those deals were penciled out for twenty dollars to $30,000 rehab with resales in the two uh, fifty to two sixty range, mm-hmm. and so uh, when when all was said and done, um, I think what what happened is that the realtor uh, sold me a little bit on on resale value, and um, so what happened uh, that coupled with the contractor walking out uh, that I that I was linked up with, all of that made made what was supposed to be a, uh, a three to six month flip more like a 10 to 12 month flip. And when you're, when you're on hard money and you're paying hard money costs, interest every month, um, and, and your construction goes over budget, then, you know, this was a really a whirlwind of jumping in and, and really learning hands on you. You spend a lot of money on education, but really nothing, nothing, uh, beats, going and buying properties and doing it. And so, so I, I learned a ton. Um, I lost, a, uh, just about, I was in the hole just about 70, $80,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and after those first two deals and really it made me take a step back, um, kind of reformalize my game plan. And within, within the first 12 months out of college, I was able to make that money back and, and pay back my, uh, grandma. So, so, uh, you know, it was pretty whirlwind for, for a 18, 19 year old, um, as far as, uh, taking, taking my bruises, but, um, it, it was, it was a start. So, Hey man, you're sitting here today, but I, I've been in the same boat as you. I flipped a few houses back in Philadelphia. Um, my background's in structural engineering thought I had it all sorted out, but again, working from, a bit. I was in LA, and the properties were in Philly, Philly and I just moved from LA, uh, from New York to, to 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 LA, and trying to manage that, you know, from 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 a distance, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that we actually added a third story, which was, um, you know, it was a major construction, it wasn't it? But wow. again, again, you know, in the hole, I think I walked away with like um, uh, thirty or forty grand in the hole, nothing crazy, but it was a one mm-hmm. of those examples where I'm like, I need to get into multifamily, and I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Sterling, talk to me about your first deal. I know I mentioned the introduction that you put, you know, no money, these no money down deals, right? So is it true? Is this, I've never seen a no money down deal, but apparently they keep coming up all the time on my news, my <laughs> Facebook feed. But I, I think it's a load of BS to be honest, but you can, you can explain it. You can, you can convince me otherwise. Yeah. It, this deal was actually no money in the deal. There was money that I had to put into the marketing in order to acquire the deal. And also, I had to invest a significant amount of time to acquire the deal as well. So in that scenario, where someone doesn't have the cash, then you have to be willing to put in the the time to to offset that. And it was through my mentor who I had uh, met at a CrossFit gym, and I was willing to work with that individual for free to learn all his knowledge that he 
to, to gain experience from that individual. And he was looking to interesting enough to go from multifamily to single family. Hmm. And he said, Sterling, I want you to go out there and just find me some deals. So I went out there and acquired, I believe the first deal I got off a, either a, uh, it was a bandit sign mm -hmm. and found a deal, brought it to my mentor. And we, I, I did all the due diligence underwriting. And then he brought the cash. And then after that, I took care of uh, finding the contractors, managing the construction. So that's kind of how the, that first deal had went uh, from a no money, no money in the deal standpoint. Was there any profit in the end of the, uh, the deal? It was a buy and hold property. Okay. So we, we were all in about 40 to 50,000 and the rent was 850. And there was another property we acquired on the same street that we were all in. Uh, nice. on the same price as well. Okay. So you boys, you both got your feet wet. You, you, Jacob, you had a bit of a, a bit of a rough start. Sterling yourself, you sounded like you started some, some pretty affordable housing, which is where I started back when I first moved to the United States in, in 2011, 2012, where, where we are now to walk us through how you've got from that point of, of, of getting your feet wet to what you guys are doing today. And maybe talk to us a little bit about where you're, where you're investing and the strategy moving forward um, to you know, taking that, that business to the next level? So, so for me, I, I ended up moving from Nevada uh, to Indiana. And I, so I moved to Indianapolis in 2012, and that was a move to be closer to my now wife than girlfriend. And so, um, so I, I had known one person in Indianapolis that I had met through my education back in 2009 and, and 2010. And so... Um, he was open to me kind of bumming some Wi-Fi in the office. And, and so I started kind of hanging around him and, and started learning what he was doing. And he was buying uh, cheaper rentals, cash flow rentals, uh, the type of rentals that we focus on in the Midwest and the single family side, uh, single family homes that you can be invested all in $35,000, uh, $35, $40,000 and, and have those rents of 700 to 800, like Sterling kind of mentioned. And so uh, that was his niche. And so I, I, I started hanging out, started plotting the properties that he owned, um, started doing some marketing, and then really just started bringing in, bringing in leads, um, bringing in deals. And so um, that's really, that's really where I got started. I, the first deal I, I brought to him, um, I, I had bought it for, I believe, uh, $12,000, and he was willing to pay uh, $17,000 for it. And so it was a quick sale to him, and then I just started finding more deals. And, and so within a couple of years, I, I had worked my way into managing his complete sales, uh, his complete sales and acquisitions, and um, purchased hundreds of properties and and so that's, that's really kind of my fast track to, to really getting expertise in that, in that niche of single family rentals. Nice. What about yourself, Sterling? What are you doing today? And, and, and that, that scaling process to get to being a business and, and, and taking that next step because uh, you're not in, you're, you're, you're in Indianapolis, but you're, mm -hmm. you, Jacob, are in Dayton, Ohio. So you've moved from Indianapolis to Dayton, correct? And then Sterling, you're now just in Indianapolis. Yes, correct. Well, we, we both have uh, the, the operations in Indy and Dayton, and we mm -hmm. both travel back and forth. And then on the multifamily side, we're, of course, uh, looking into multiple markets. Uh, but 
to, to answer your question, when I had met Jacob, when I, I kind of got on the tail end, when he was at his formal, former, with his former partner, and that's when we really started uh, brainstorming ideas on the current model uh, with utilizing crowdfunding and trying to figure out a way to scale uh, operations while we be able to retain equity and keep the interest in line. And that's when we started using more of investor dollars to purchase more assets and then uh, just build it from there, from, uh, yeah. from our first property until, until now. Right. Yeah. If I could add some, add some more to that, it's kind of right when Sterling started purchasing those single families with his, with his mentor, like he mentioned previously, that was kind of when we, when our paths crossed. And so so Sterling was uh, coming from more of a commercial side previously in, in construction, and construction. Then, and then he was now purchasing those single families. And that was kind of where I was in, in had most of everything going on in my life at that point. And so that's, that's when Sterling and I's path met and he started hanging out around the office as, as we started acquiring some deals together. Um, and then it was, it was, um, it, it was during a time where crowdfunding and, and uh, w- was really becoming a, a headliner. And so, so we kind of were thinking about a way that we could shake this up. And instead of buying these rental properties and selling them to investors, um, you're probably familiar with the turnkey rental model. Yep. Um, we, we we're trying to figure out how do we buy these, keep ownership with the investors, you know, invest with investors uh, manage and and uh, do what do what we're best at, and you know let investors make good good return on their money. Um, let us focus on finding the deals and putting everything together. And so that's where that's where our model came together, Holdfolio, uh, based on those single family homes. We're putting ten properties together in a portfolio. Um, Sterling and I were doing everything from an operator standpoint, and then investors could purchase shares of those of that portfolio and. And so um, we we founded uh, Holdfolio in October of 2014, um, and and so it took us one year of startup as far as building out our website. Um, you know that that was and getting through all the legal because we were selling uh, sh- interest. We were selling shares, uh, so there was a lot of a lot of. Uh, a lot of things that we needed to make sure the I's were dotted and, and the T's were crossed. So, so we took our time with that. And, um, and now we've done about 10 single family home portfolios, most of that in the last 12 to 18 months. Um, and, and we're also into the multifamily as well, which I'm sure we'll speak more of uh, during this, during this podcast here. Yeah, so interesting that you talk about Holdfolio because it's definitely something that people were, you know, international investors, but also local investors want to get involved with buying more and more and more single family. You know, essentially buying 10 single family properties is nearly like looking at it like a 10 unit property, right? Except it obviously, if, if they're not all in the one sort of um, geographical area, it's going right. to be very difficult. Um, but talk to me about how you structured that with your with your investors about how you know buying those ten uh, single families, bulking them together. I'm assuming you got um, some sort of commercial loan on it because it was larger than five properties. And then how much mm-hmm. were you selling the interest to your to your investors, and what sort of returns were they getting? What well, one thing that we realized as we did more research into into these types of investments, which are typically considered private placement investments. Um, you're dealing with hun- 
many times more than 100 pages of memorandums, uh, very kind of intricate waterfalls and, and distribution schemes. So what we wanted to do was say, how do we make this simple? And so with our 10 property portfolio, our first portfolio, we said, we'll keep 30% ownership. Investors will keep 70% ownership. Can't get any more simple than that. Uh, actually, and, and with this, with our, um, at our price point of getting our all-in costs on these homes are about $35,000 per door. So we had no financing. It was all cash invested. And so um, the deal structure doesn't really get any more simple than that. And so, um, you know, that, and, and still today our portfolios, um, you know, that's kind of one concept that, that we really try to try to hone in on is just trying to make it simple and make it uh, make sense where, where we can be in the same boat as our investors interests align, and everyone's focused on the same thing. It's very interesting that you've, you've raised essentially all the capital. So you've got no leverage on these portfolios, correct? Correct. Interesting. So could you then make your IRR or return, internal rate of return better to investors by taking out some leverage? Yeah. And that's, that's one thing. If, so one, one side of it is if we can make some double digit cash on cash returns with no leverage, then, then that's a good place to be. That's, that's a place where you can rest your head at night. Um, if, if there's ever type of economic swings, you're in a good position. You're not going to have to have that risk of servicing that debt. And so we left that out kind of out in the future as something that we're going to look at once these portfolios are seasoned a little bit more and we have more historical track record, um, then, then we'll start entertaining some of those financing options to maybe recoup all the, all the investor, all the investor dollars back to the investors and, and uh, keep owning those properties. So, and, and that's where the multifamily kind of complemented our model is because multifamily debt is a part of a multifamily asset. Um, it's, you know, that's, that's going to live and breathe in a multifamily deal. And so, so that's where we see more of the debt in our, um, in our assets are on that multifamily side. So Sterling, talk to me a little bit about how you've transitioned from a mental point of view from single family into multifamily. It didn't sound like it was too much of a leap doing these whole folio portfolios of 10 single family properties, but maybe walk us through some of the first acquisitions that you've done with on the larger scale of the multifamily uh, and how that just came about. Because, you know, obviously a lot of people listening to the show will be like wondering, okay, great. You've done some portfolios. It's bloody fantastic. How do you then take that next leap into buying, say, a 20 or a 30 or a 50 or even a 100-unit property and being confident that the same systems you applied on the single families are applying to the multifamily, particularly when it comes from raising capital and, and prospecting? Yeah, and great question. And one thing that we built from day one was the infrastructure in our property management company, since we manage our own assets, to be able to, to manage a... Uh, 50 unit or even a hundred unit apartment building plus those generally can run themselves and from jumping from the single family to the multifamily side it's it's a lot less time intensive to purchase one 100 unit building versus a hundred single family homes so we right. took a step back and said how do we uh, scale our operations even more and multifamily was just a, a no-brainer when it came to that interesting so yeah just go ahead sorry Jacob 
I was going to piggyback on that just a little bit from, from Sterling. I, he, he mentioned that infrastructure. And so when we own a hundred single family homes all over the city, um, you know, that takes, that takes some strategic management, some strategic system. And so when we looked at our first apartment acquisition of 46 units, uh, you know, that's two buildings, 46 units, and it's in the same spot. All these, all these uh, residents are, are right there. So, for us, it was kind of a breath, a breath of fresh air. I mean, it, it's a, it's different. It's a different business uh, model, but really for us, all the scale is there. All the systems are there. We, we come from a very intense and strategic management because of that single family uh, home model. And so what we've found is we've really been able to crush it on that multifamily uh, property from a management perspective. And, and from an acquisition perspective, we're just adding a couple of zeros. Um, you know, every, everything is really staying the same for us. Yeah, very interesting. And talk to me about when you brought the property management in-house, you know, um, because I'm all about creating ecosystems within investment businesses, not just, not just being the investment portfolio. I talk a lot about AID, acquisitions, investments, developments. Acquisitions, obviously, brokerage, asset management fees, blah, blah, blah. But the, the, the investment point of view is asset management, but also property management. So how did you bring that in-house was it a bit of a learning curve for you guys uh, before you then ventured into multifamily or was it you already had it on the singles and it was just a natural progression into the multis? So, so Sterling and I were sitting behind uh, a management company of managing over a thousand single family homes when we decided to transition to hold folio. So really from day one, we decided that we're going to manage our own properties. Um, it was Sterling and I as, as founders. So, so we were directly managing um, managing his properties, taking tenant calls. We'd go show the thing, the properties through our first acquisition, and then it's just a natural progression, right? As you as you start having five homes for rent, you start thinking, well, you know, we're probably going to bring on that leasing and property management admin. We need to focus on acquisition, and so it's just that natural progression. We sat behind the thousand units under management. We know what the staff of 20 looks like. We know what the departments look like. We, we put our foundation in place so that as we scale, we can just keep stacking the block. And so from day one, we were very, you know, we, we knew what it looked like. We knew what it take, what it would take. And so we were in a great position as from day one to be able to just keep scaling and keep adding the right people on board. Sterling, talk to me about the advice you could give to someone who is looking to bring that property management aspect in-house. What did you think was going to be the hardest thing? Um, because, you know, most of us get involved in real estate investing. We think, oh, we're going to, we're going to outsource that to third-party property management from a single-family point of view, from a multi-family point of view. But it's also a bit of a profit center for investors, right, for yourselves. It mm-hmm. becomes more efficient. So... Talk me through that process and any advice you can give to anyone out there thinking about they may have 20 properties under contract uh, under in their portfolio. They're thinking, I don't want to pay seven or eight percent anymore to my property management company. I'm going to bring it in house. And, and what are those lessons that, that you sort of uh, learned along the way? I would just say in to straightforward that no one's going to care about your asset as much as you are right. So that. From, so from that angle, that's why it was just a, a no-brainer brain, in bringing uh, everything in-house. 
in, in the event when you do outsource it, it, it is something that you take off your plate, but that company doesn't necessarily uh, have your interest in mind generally because they have to, because they have to make money, whether it's off repairs or it, it's just always generally best to do things in house because you're more incentivized. So are you still guys still paying yourselves? You know, if we do the, 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 the analysis of a multifamily, we've got, a, you know, the, uh, the payroll, we've got the utility expenses, but you also got the, you know, the property management fee. Are you guys still taking that out and paying yourselves for doing that in house and paying your team? So yeah, on, on our multifamily deals, we typically structure our property management fee so that it's going to take care of everything needed with that property. And, and right now we don't really property management. It's, it's a service. It's, it's an essential thing that we need and, and um, it will be a long time. And so in, until we're cash flowing on that side of the business, uh, just because we, um, we, we like to have, good quality people on board. Um, Sterling, and I don't like to spend a lot of time day to day in management. So we pay for, we pay for experience. And so from, a, from that standpoint, our property management is serving us, servicing us, servicing these properties. It's not really a profit center for us. We, we try to seek our profits from equity in the deals that we're able to keep um, and then just structure that property management fee. So that, so that makes sense overall, as far as what type of, uh, you know, what type of manpower and, and how is this going to affect our management overall? Who are we going to have to hire? Those types of things. Yeah, no, I think uh, what I was sort of, when I was saying uh, profit center, um, it all flows back right to your investors who are involved with you in the deal and, right. and pro- profit right. meaning that, you know, you're becoming more efficient with your costs, uh, becoming more efficient with the way you run the property. So because you can keep track of or keep your thumb on certain expenses, that inevitably flows because you have equity in the property, it essentially means profit, right? You know, that, that's, oh, yeah, that's what you're trying to, to reduce. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, we, we always talk about on, uh, on the show, you know, operating expenses per door per year, right? You know, depending on what, if you're buying class B, if you're client buying class C or if you're buying class A, you know, on my rule of thumb, $5,500 uh, on a hundred unit or more uh, apartment building is what I'm going to be spending uh, per year. I just know from an underwriting point of view, but that also has payroll and that has, um, uh, you know, pro- a property management fee. But if you can bring some of that in house, that $5,500 may drop to $4,800, you know, and again, it, it brings more cash flow to the deal. Um, your investors are happier and, and, and obviously you're performing as an, as an investment company, which everyone's thumbs up. They want to keep investing in you. So when there's more access to capital, uh, you get more deals done and you get to grow your, your investment portfolio. Great uh, points. Yeah. Sorry. I just wanted to summarize that. So guys, tell me about how you're buying hot, um, sorry, multifamily properties in hot markets right now. I'd say it's really on the off market side. And there is, uh, as you've noticed, the, the cap rates overall are compressing and it's about getting direct to the owner and doing as much digging as you can to get in contact with that individual. So for our 46 unit that we acquired back in February, we were dealing direct with the uh, seller on that asset and we were able to actually get that individual to carry back, uh, carry back an amount and we only had to put down uh, a lower uh, for our down payment to acquire that asset, just due to they were a little motivated. What's the um, what market did you buy that forty six unit in? We bought it here in Indianapolis. Nice, so, nice class C. I take it. 
Yep, Class C total purchase price nine hundred thousand. Seller carried back seven hundred, and we put down two hundred. And the uh, it was below market. The rents were about nine hundred to a hundred bucks, mm -hmm. and it needed complete. Well, not necessarily complete, but it needed exterior as well as interior renovations. Interesting. Well, and, and walk us through that seller carryback financing because that's a that's the sort of the golden goose or the golden egg that people want to acquire when they go ch chasing properties, right? But not all, not all the time do sellers want to be, you know, saying, Hey, I want to keep my money in the deal, particularly what you're saying, $700,000, right? Um, so how did that conversation come up? You obviously found the property. Did it take a lot of coaxing? Did it take a lot of education to, to get this seller to come on board and come around to saying, yeah, heck yeah, I'm going to leave my 700 bucks, $700,000 in the deal and I'm going to get a nice little clip of uh, maybe five, 6%. Yeah. So this seller was highly, this seller was very motivated to sell. They did have the property on the market at some, at a previous time and it didn't sell. So when we came in, we came in at the right timing to where they were, just completely just done with the asset itself. They were already running it into the ground, essentially. When we mm -hmm. took over, it was about 50% occupancy. And so they were willing to, okay, well, we're, we're no, we know due to the occupancy, it's gonna be hard for, these in, for, for them to get financing. So I'm willing to do the, the carry back in order to, to get the deal done. Nice, What'd you, um, what did you negotiate from an interest rate point of view? What was that interest rate, Jacob? It was, I believe it tears each and every year where it goes up. Yeah, yeah. the, um, the seller started at 7% interest and, and we started at 0% interest. And so uh, we, we met with a, a tier structure that Sterling mentioned where we settled on 3% interest for the first 12 months, 5% interest for uh, month 13 through 24. And then it will go to 7% uh, interest if it's carried over 24 months. And so from our perspective, uh, like Sterling mentioned, this, this property is about 50% occupied, um, had, had some fire burn da damage units. Um, lucky for us, the seller was kind of understanding that, uh, that he was going to have to finance a portion of this because of that. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't have to break down those barriers. Um, we, we've had to in the past, uh, work a lot harder to get a seller uh, to understand the, the financing aspect. But um, really for us is those uh, uh, interest rate negotiations, which um, doesn't seem like a lot when, when you're thinking between 3% and 5%. But as you know, Reed, on, on these larger loan balances, it is a lot. It does, it does add up. So, so that was uh, kind of our, our fight with him as far as, uh, as, far as the carry back on that. That's awesome, guys. Did you raise the capital for the CapEx as well? So you said you put $200,000 down. Did you raise another two, three $300,000 to do the work to the property? Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to mention we raised an additional 400000 for improvements to, to the grounds and the units. Nice. nice. And one thing I was going to mention to your audience as well, what really helps is we, we built the rapport with the seller and met with them. I even brought a thank you card to thank him for, for his time. And then we just sat through all of the negotiations face-to-face. -face, and that's what really helped us uh, close, the, close the deal. That's one of Sterling's strengths is you, you kind of ask how you're finding deals in a hot market. And, and what it takes is, is grit. You know, it takes 
getting creative, doing what other people aren't willing to do. And so this is one example where, where the seller, he didn't meet with us at the property. He wasn't willing to. Um, through some trace searching, Sterling found out he owned another business, got the business address. So we went and looked at the property without the seller because he didn't want to. And then Sterling brought this thank you card to drop it off at his office. So we have an end. I just wanted to give you this thank you card. And so that was, that was our end to strike a conversation with the seller, get him talking, start building some rapport. And he loved to talk. <laughs> oh yeah. Was he, was he shocked when you rocked up on his doorstep at his business thing? Who the hell are these two young guys? With a thank you, card? you know, he's like, I'm yeah. trying to chase your 46 yeah. year old. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His, his doorkeeper kind of came and we're like, man, is this, man, I don't think this is the right guy. <laughs> and, <laughs> And, and there was some, there was some shouting back in, to the back of the office and, and up front. And, and then they're like, yeah, bring them back. And I was like, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So guys, what's in store for you uh, into the future? Where are you investing right now? Um, and where do you want to grow in the next five years? You've come so far, uh, come such a long way, I should say, in such a short period of time. I'm sure you're just going to continue hitting that 10x growth over the next five years. Oh yeah, to next baby. <laughs> and I'd, I'd say it, it's all about scaling for us at this point. So we're looking into those uh, multiple uh, markets that in the Midwest that have larger MSAs, uh, specifically like a Louisville, Cincinnati. Uh, what's the other? Well, we have Columbus on our radar as well. Uh, Jacob, were you going to mention something as well? Oh no, yeah. I, I mean, just to to elaborate on that, we where we feel like we have a really good foothold in Indianapolis. And this, you know, this is our home city. We know it street by street. Um, we know all the inner workings uh, of, that, of that city. And so, like I mentioned, we're, we're, we're kind of putting our radar towards Cincinnati and Columbus, Ohio. And, and we also have a foothold in Dayton, Ohio. So, so there's this good triangle of where, where we can have team and, and staff um, you know, operations within an hour, hour and a half of each of these cities. And so, so that's what we're really driving towards. And, and I think big picture, uh, we're focused on income producing assets and, and we're going to grow it from there. And so like Sony mentioned, sky's the limit. And, and we just focus on, on taking steps up the ladder. Love it. Love it. What's the number one piece of advice you can give to someone who would like to um, get started with their own prop in-house property management? I know I asked you this before, but I wanted to wrap up the show with, uh, with that number one piece of advice. More control. And that just allows you to keep the interest in line because nobody's going to manage your own assets as best as you can. Love no it. better than you can. Love it. On that piece, I was just going to say my advice would be to understand uh, your time, um, what what you have time for, and if you have the time to to get into the nitty gritty and manage your own property, then I, I think it's worth it. Especially if you plan on growing a larger portfolio, where where you have the ability to hire someone. And you know, obviously, we don't we don't want to manage our properties, create another day job for ourselves. And so, just make sure you understand kind of what you're growing towards. Uh, if you have the time to get into the nitty gritty, then do it because I think it'll pay off in the long run. So. Love it. Love it. Well, guys, uh, we're coming to the end of the show. And as always, I like to ask my guests if they want to give me their top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Let's do it.
All right, Stella, I'm gonna start with you first, mate. What is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? When I wake up, I write my goals down and right before I go to sleep, I write my goals down. Love it, love it. Mate, what's, who is the most influential person in your career to date uh, if you have the most influential person? I'd say Earl Nightingale. Earl Nightingale. That's, a, that's taking it. a little old school. It'll very old school. <laughs> uh, I'm sure with all your businesses, you're the ecosystem of your business. I love what you've done bringing that in-house. You'd have to have a t- bring property management in-house, I should say. You'd have to have a tool that's the most influential in your business. What is it? Propertyware, software. Property, is, it's propertyware.com. Is that an actual software program? Yes, it's through RealPage. Propertyware. Okay, so for any of those aspiring property managers who want to bring this, their property management in-house, Propertyware, and I'm sure we're going to have all those in the show notes below. Sterling, uh, what has been the biggest failure to date and what have you learned from that failure? I would say not getting started sooner and also not, not going as big from the beginning even though I'm still young, but I wish I would have went bigger from the start. Right. We, we always look back and have that 20, uh, that, 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 that hindsight, right? If only I'd gone bigger earlier, right? But <laughs> so Jacob, I'm going to ask you exactly the same amount of questions, mate. What is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? So I, I carry a little, a little notebook in my back pocket. And so, so I have, I have uh, my purpose written in here, some affirmations that really hit home for me um, and, and my goals. And so, so this is something I look at every day, make sure that it's relevant, keep it updated. Um, and, and that's how I, that's how I stay motivated day to day. Love it. I love, I think that the underlying thing for both of you guys and for myself as well as, you know, writing that, those goals down, writing those affirmations down. So it gets it out of your mind and gets it onto a piece of paper and the, the, just the, the, the act of doing something as simple as that is just, you know, really, really rewarding for me at least anyway. So I'm sure it sounds like the same sort of thing for you guys as well. Uh, Jacob, what's, who is the most influential person in your career to date? I don't think I could pick one person, but I could certainly put together a team of people okay. and, and they, they would be in the, in the realms of um, motivation side, as far as maybe a Tony Robbins figure. And then I think Tim Ferriss does some amazing things from a business standpoint. Um, so, so really I, I think there's a lot of influential people out there and it's so amazing today with being able to grab a book or, or get online and, everything's right at your fingertips. So there's, there's a ton of people out there. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think all those guys that you mentioned, Tony, uh, Tim, uh, you know, of the, the Tony Robbins and the Tim Ferriss of the world have you know, been so influential in my career as well. And uh, I love hearing other guys who've also been inspired by their journeys to go out there and take action and be as successful as you guys have been. Uh, Jacob, what is the most influential tool in your business? We talked about uh, property wear. Do you have the same one or is it something different? Yeah. Um, I think, I think to not be repetitive, I love property wear. Um, I also love inbox. Uh, it's a, it's a counterpart to Gmail. So it's inbox.google instead of, uh, instead of Gmail. Um, and so th- the reason I love this is because it takes all of your mail and reminders and tasks and puts it into one, one format and, and it has some great tools for just, when you have when you have a thousand different things going on, it's important to build a clear mind. And so this is a place where I can be be confident that everything's there, and I, I keep following up on things. So that's a great tool for me. Love it, love it. Last question is: What has been the biggest failure in your career to date? And what have you learned from that that failure? 
Yeah, I think we touched on it uh, previous in this podcast that I haven't uh, been fortunate enough to not lose my money on, on any deals outside of those first two uh, picks and flips. And, and so that was a phenomenal failure for me. Um, and, and um, really what, what I learned was, was um, probably at that step, I probably should have found someone to partner with. Um, and, and so that, that's, what, that's one of my biggest thing going forward. And certainly I do when we bring on new ventures and we're entering new markets is we piggyback off of successful people who, are, who have been there, done it. And so, um, you know, that, that, that's that in a wrap. Awesome. I completely agree with you. I think getting uh, too, out, too far out over your skis, as they say, to not have that sort of support network around you to help you be successful um, 100%. But gentlemen, I want to wrap up the show. Where can people reach you to continue the conversation if they want to ping you and ask you any more questions about how to, you know, about your journey or about like starting your own in-house property management team? Where's the best place to reach you? I would say they can uh, reach us on our website at holdfolio.com. Got it. Got it. Contact us. Fantastic. Well, lads, I will thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to tune in and to jump on this show. I just want to quickly summarize some of the things that I took away. Wrote some notes down here today. I think the biggest one is obviously from, from you, Sterling, was that no one cares about your portfolio as much as you do. Uh, and bringing that in the property management in-house has been really key. Uh, it's not a profit center for you guys and, and for anyone listening out there, it's not ever going to maybe be a profit center, but it's something that you can control the costs um, and you can help your investors get better returns and better cash flow, which is inevitably profit, right? We're going to talk about mm-hmm. it, particularly if you've got equity in the deal. Um, the other thing that I wrote down is, is, is obviously partnering up. Uh, something you just said, Jacob, at the end of the show there, you know, one of your biggest failures was that you didn't partner up with the right people and, and you know, you, you, you suffered a little bit, but you're now where you are right now. You've, you've dusted yourself off. You got back up on that horse and you've been very successful. So guys, did I leave anything out? Uh, anything else you want to cover on the show before we wrap up? Dream big, take action. Love it. Love it. What about you, Jacob? No, that's, that's great. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to discuss this with you, Reed. It's been really great. Well, guys, thank you so much for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we will catch up soon. Well, there you have it. Another great episode jam-packed full of some awesome investing advice and some actionable steps about going out and bringing property management in-house and just getting stuff done. And if you if you do want to uh, jump online, hit me up at rsnpropertygroup.com. Click on the podcast tab. We're going to have all the show notes up there from today's show. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge because that's what we're all about here on this show. I want to continue to grow your financial IQ. We're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.